But as the scripture says, you know, if you knock a righteous man down seven times, you know, there's no point to it because he's just going to get up again. Why? Because God's going to make him get up again. And no, we don't preach perfection, but we do preach transformation. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that uh, you be with me during this message. I know that my throat is bad and I guess I have allergies and I ask, Lord, that you would compensate for that. Um, Lord, may this time be special. May we see within your word the truth as it's written there, not as men would make it or even me. I pray, Lord, that my eyes might be on your glory and your Son. I pray that I might be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, may your people always abound in fruitfulness, uh, laying aside the flesh and all worldliness and sin and being powered by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I ask these things for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In this uh, message today, we're going to be looking at uh, the question of what is a Christian? That's right. What is a Christian? Uh, The post that I've written for this week is named by that titled question in the series Gospel Light and Perspective. And uh, the question comes from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who during the 1960s, raised this question in light of what was going on at the time. It was like at the height of the ecumenical movement of the 1960s, where uh, it was popularized by evangelicals of the time that professing Christians should be regarded as being so, irrespective of what they believe or deny. And I'm taking that from a quote uh, from Ian Murray's book, um, The Life uh, of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and from pages 392 and 93, where he's talking about what was going on during those days. And so the definition that I give for the question of what is a Christian is basically um, a life that's been transformed by the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. Now, we can see this in in the book of Hebrews and in chapter 11. And why don't we spend some, a little bit of time there? Because 
well, for one thing, this chapter is speaking about Old Testament saints. There's no New Testament saints, obviously, rehearsed in this book of Hebrews, chapter 11. It's known as the Hall of Heroes. And uh, as we look over the history of the Old Testament, beginning from Adam and creation, and onward, right through to Malachi, we're looking at all people who lived prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, people, some people, some theologians want to make a distinction. That's not exactly what this message is about, but I think it's an important point that we need to consider. That the people whose lives we look at in the Old Testament, though they were far from perfect, and the same can be said of Christians today, though that they were far from perfect, and it's it's very important to know the distinction between perfection and what God does in the life of a Christian, which is the point for today. So here are these Old Testament saints prior to Christ going to the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And we see staggering things, transformation things in their life, in their heart, in their faith, in their behavior. And it all took place before Christ went to the cross. And yeah, you can read all kinds of books and all kinds of doctrinal things about the difference between an Old Testament and New Testament saints and and the filling of the Spirit and Pentecost and all of this. And I'm always left with the question when I read those things. Well, how then did people act the way they did in the Old Testament? Now the thoughts are that the Holy Spirit came upon people you know, to do extraordinary things, but that does not answer the question of a transformed heart and mind. It doesn't. So, you know, David had this incredible power that came upon him to kill Goliath. Great. And maybe inspired to, to sing songs and that became psalms. But where did the heart come from? For God, all his life. So that when he's in the cave and he's got the sword in his hand and he can kill Saul, he determines, yeah, I'm not, I'm not taking the life of the Lord's anointed. I'm not taking life in my own, my own hands. Now that is a heart condition. That is a transformation of heart. Let, let, let's look at Hebrews 11. Think about this. Let this sink into your head, into your mind, to your heart about how people's lives in the Old Testament prior to Christ were so transformed. So Hebrews chapter 11, you know, it starts off with this, now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. For for by it the people of old, that's Old Testament saints, gained approval. By what? By faith. They were acting on what they didn't see. I mean, that's an incredible transformation right there. I mean, usually what religious people do, and all did during all those periods of time, was they cut down a tree, they carved it into an image, and they said, this is God. This is not rational, let alone hoping in something that they can't see. I mean, it's a co- complete opposite. I mean, contrast is stark. However, we read by faith, we understand that the world had been created by the word of God, 
No one could see this. No, no one was ever there. So that what has been, so that what is seen has not been made out of the things that are visible. Okay, there you got it. No vis, no, no senses used here. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was attested to be righteous and testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. This is Abel, you know, the one who was killed by his brother. For what? His faith. His faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. That's fairly incredible. And he was not found because God took him up. For before he was taken up, he was attested to have been pleasing to God. How does a person prior to the cross, apart from having his heart and mind so transformed that God would say he was well-pleasing and to the point that God like just didn't allow him to die, he just took him up. I mean, think just think about that. I mean, today, when we live in, and breathe the church of Christ in, in, in Christian circles and we understand the imperfections of faith, after coming to faith in Jesus Christ who passed, died on the cross, and offers us the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within our hearts, which men will say did not take place in the Old Testament. You know, couldn't happen then. And I would warn us at this point, read carefully Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because in Romans 9, 10, and 11, it's basically that. He's, Paul is a, a, explaining the point of it is that Israel will be restored. And, you know, if, if nothing can stand against us in the closing verses of chapter 8, then, well, what about Israel since it's been cast off and, and God's not using Israel anymore? And so his answer to that is in 9, 10, and 11, that a day is coming when they will be restored. And here comes the warning. And, you know, you Gentiles, be careful. Because if the natural olive tree, which is Israel, and the natural olive tree is seen as that which comes through the Abraham's race of people, genetically connected family within Adam's race, which they're all Israelites and Hebrews, separate from Gentiles. You have Jews and Gentiles in, in the Bible and the Old Testament, clearly distinct people, and God is distinctly working through Israel, and if they were cut off, but they're the natural tree through whom salvation came, the law, the prophets, um, the scriptures, Jesus Christ, all came through Israel. If that the natural tree has been called, what will happen to you? And you know, some will say, well, they were cut off so that we could come in. That's true, he says, but you stand by faith. You're not standing by something special that's in you. I mean, there's nothing special about you any more than was special about Abraham. Abraham and, the, and, the, and his children of Israel. So if they weren't special and you're not special, watch, watch out, be careful. And this is a little thing to a lot of people. Well, you know, what differences make? But there's take a hard stand. Well, you know, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. All right, well, just explain Hebrews 11 to me. Explained by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not seen in, in, re, in reverence, in reverence. 
in reverence. People without the Holy Spirit take it, transforming their hearts. Uh, uh, of them, we're going to say, in reverence, prepared an ark against the whole world at that time for 120 years, building a boat in the middle of a land where there was no water. Think about the humiliation of a savage people that God was going to destroy because they were so wicked and so violent in that day. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according, according to faith. How did that happen? This is what I, I ask people. I've asked them for decades. How does this happen? And they just get angry at me. Don't you know? You know, until the, it came, the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit hadn't come. Let me explain something to my hearer right now. If you're listening to this, listen carefully. Now, what happened after Pentecost was that we went from shadow to substance. In the Old Testament, we just had a shadow, or they had a shadow, of things to come. What was to come? Some, some Messiah was to come. It was gonna, God was providing a way for a better nation, for a better world, for the promises of the prophets, you know, depending on where they stood in history in the Old Testament. I mean, if it's Abraham, he didn't have any of the Bible. So, you know, here comes this promise, this word from God, and they're stepping out from the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, is this, this idolatrous people, or they're standing out like Enoch, or like Noah, and they're like doing things that are pleasing to God. With very, very, none, hardly, just a shadowy thing that God's going to somehow save. Save from what? Well, everybody's dying. The world is a wicked place it always has been to live in. But there's like this promise of something better coming. And they're like almost like blind men walking in the Old Testament. And then in the New, Christ shows up. He heals a nation. He says, I'm going to be nailed to a piece of wood. He gives all the details, and then they do it. And then on the third day, he raises from the dead. He rises from the dead. He's seen by over 500 people. And incredible prophecies come through through all the prophets of this coming Messiah in great detail, born of a virgin, on and on and on. Hundreds of years prophesied before. He shows up, and then people's lives on Pentecost and following are just so transformed. And so all his followers go to their death, or so many go to the death, to this day for Jesus Christ, because the message became so clear. And yet, wait, in the Old Testament, people went to their death. I mean, Isaiah was stuck in a hollow of a tree, and it was cut in half by a wooden saw, so the story tells and so it records even in, in this chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and why did he go to his death prior to Jesus Christ? You know, God is so much bigger than we give him credit for so much of the time. God, first of all, is not captivated. He's not bound by time. He experienced the reality of the cross across time, which he's not bound by, before the foundation of of the world. You get that? You, you hear that? Before the foundation of the world, 
God was not bound by time, and what became a plan was already a reality. And don't try to wrap your mind around it. You can't do it any more than you can figure out that God's everywhere at the same time. He's all-powerful. He knows all things. He's God. He's eternal. He doesn't have a birth date. He doesn't have a, a de- date of his death. He's eternal. He is eternal life, and he's the source of our life, biological, soulish life, spiritual life. He's the source of eternal life. He's not bound. But people are always wanting to stick him in a bottle. And somehow in the process, our pride gives us the best of the bottle. I don't think it works that way. I really don't. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. He obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. And he left not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. Did he do some really stupid things with regards to his wife and his family? Yeah, he did. Do we do that today? Yeah, we do. You don't even want me to start to go down that road. Whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Get it? I mean, this is like an older woman who, you know, what goes on with women and they can't conceive anymore. And this is past. This is done. Since she conceived him faithful, considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, even from one man, and one who was as good as dead at that, There were born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number and as innumerable grains of sand along the seashore. This is happening when? In the Old Testament, these people are behaving this way. Now, there's power going on from God, obviously, in this birth, in this section. But as we continue, it said, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. Okay, so they're not living for today, They're living for what God has promised for a time that they can't see even what we have in the book of Revelation and this millennial kingdom. Even though they believed on it as the scriptures were written and they began to understand that 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 time was coming. But here, for Abraham, nothing's seen. But you know what? They're acting as though it was seen. They had no proof. They had no scripture. All they had was like a simple little word. And they act, this is better than what we do today. It really is, by comparison. They left their own country. Indeed, if it had been, if they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. I mean, it would have been a great temptation. I mean, look, where are we going? What, What are we doing? What is this? But as it is, in verse 16 of chapter 11, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He's prepared a city. I don't know where that city is. I don't know even to this time right now if you can see it, if it's come yet, if it's in another dimension, if people are in the presence of God and at the throne, and you know, there's pictures in the New Testament. But here, for these people, it, it definitely was not seen. It wasn't even visualized in even a biblical way. 
And then it goes on and it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, this is huge, offered up Isaac. Now, let's stop for a second. This is a man who said doesn't have the Spirit of God indwelling within him and transforming his heart. This is a, a man who comes from people who cut down trees and turn them into God. Um, this man offered up Isaac. This isn't like just a son. I mean, any son. wouldn't have mattered if it was Isaac or if it was Ishmael. I mean, this is a son. Godly people, immor- just moral people. And moral people live in the world. There's different part, kinds of people described in Romans chapter 1. Always been. There's moral people who would never, sinners that we are, that's a whole other issue as to what all of that means. And maybe I'll go into that like next week or something. All different types of people, moral people do not ch- kill their children. Just, it's not a regular thing. And I, I don't want to go there in this message either. Right now, I'm talking about saving faith. And what is a Christian? He, he offered up Isaac. Not a, son, a normal son, but a son through whom God promised I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Think about it in terms of you're going to become king. You're going to become president. You're going to become just the heir of all these people through whom the whole world's going to be blessed. There's going to be prosperity like you can't imagine. Like like sin is going to be set aside. People aren't going to be killing one another. It's not going to be awful in the world that we live, cheating and stealing and bribing and on and on and on. All of that's like that wiped away by prosperity and righteousness and justice and goodness and everything that God is. All of that wiped away. And look, you're going to be the head of this. Like, you're going to be the heir of this. I mean, God's going to be sitting on the throne. But you know, there's people like he's putting in charge. He's giving like, look, this is the man I used that all of this came through. Like, like you're the guy. <laughs> that's what's being said. That, that's, what, that's what God said to Abraham. This is all, all going to happen, and it's going to happen through this person who shouldn't even have been born because you're too old and your wife is too old. And all of that comes to pass, and here he is, and he becomes an adult, and then God says, go take him on the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. What, what would you do? <laughs> what, what would I do? Oh, uh, wait a minute. Um, God, you're telling me to kill my son. We don't kill people. Like there's just something in our conscience that tells us this is bad. Could, is this really coming from God? I mean, ha, just think of the, what the devil would do with this. I mean, could this possibly be coming from God? I mean, maybe the echoes were coming from the canyon that I'm standing near when I'm, when I'm hearing this voice and I'm thinking it's a voice and, I, and the voice is saying, go kill your son. How could this be? So like at least three days, I'm sure. Or for three days in the in the text, you know, Abraham's he's thinking about this. He's 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 going back and forth, like, come on. And and the one who had received the promises, that's Abraham, it goes on and says, was offering up his only son. I mean, the only one of promise, the only one that God was blessing, the only one that God said, through him the promise is coming. It was he. To whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. 
all these descendants of Israel, they're coming through Isaac. And what does it say about Abraham? This, this man in whom does not dwell the Holy Spirit of God. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. Really? I mean, at the time of Paul, when he's talking to the king in, in Rome, the, 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 the Roman head of, of the Roman Empire, the Caesars, he said, you're mad. When he's talking on the, on the, in Greece on the steps and he's saying the resurrection from the dead. What's this babble, babbler talking about? Really? Resurrection from the dead? Come on. That's how the world responds to resurrection from the dead. Nobody sees people resurrected from the dead. Nobody's raised from the dead. I mean, you hear these fantasy tales told on and on, but the fact of the matter is it just, it's, it's not normal. It's as rare as Christ who is raised from the dead. Yeah, I know there's a few in the scripture for obvious reasons to show forth the power of God. This is generations upon generations. No one's ever raised from the dead. The vast majority of all history, 6,000 years, people just aren't raised from the dead. Abraham is believing that God is able to raise people from the dead. And from which he also received him back as a type. Why? Because when the knife is in his hand and he's about to bring that murdering blow, that killing blow, not murdering, but killing blow to his own son, I'm sorry. God says, stop. And he didn't. he didn't. He didn't kill his own son because God stopped him. So let me turn quickly to chapter 22 of Genesis where we read this account. In the closing words of that account, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham. A second time from heaven. And said, by myself I have sworn. And this, this angel, this messenger is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. By myself I have sworn, declared the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Then I ask you how many would do who call themselves Christian if God asked us to, to do it. There are people that in a sense, like Hudson Taylor in China, 
who he left, you know, he left the shores of England and he traveled in those days in the 1800s by boat long voyage and he goes to China, he never returned. I don't think, I don't remember, it's a long time since I read his story. May have returned one time to England. And he lives in China, and yeah, he had to because he, he called for other people and other people followed. And, and here he's living in China. And, you know, while he was there, his youngest and dearest daughter who had some kind of aff affliction, I don't remember, and she was do dear to him, and, and as a young child, she died. She may not have died in England, but she died in China. And, you know, people give up their children. They just don't take a knife and offer them as a sacrifice. But Abraham would have. And I just don't think it's right to put Old Testament saints in a different category. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's the grace of God anyway. Any Christian who thinks that he's doing what he's doing by some magic or by some power in himself doesn't understand Christianity. He doesn't understand the wickedness of sin that God has to overcome by his grace to do what he does in us. Such a person doesn't understand Christianity. He might as well just believe in good works. He might as well fall under the condemnation that Paul throws on the Galatian believers of that day. And, and twice in, in, a, in, a, in a verse, two verses says, you know, you should be cursed. Look up the history, the, the, the depth of that word, and you find it's incapable of being redeemed. You should be incapable of being redeemed if you should think now that having been saved in the Spirit, you're going to be justified in the flesh. And when we get built up with these devilish lies that tell us that the Old Testament saints weren't transformed people, they weren't godly people by the grace of God. I mean, who do we think we are? You know, we'd best not go down that road. Because in the end, we know how it's going to end. There's going to be a great falling away, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And that great falling away is going to be the church. Now, that's going to be unbelievers, because believers don't fall away. We may quiver on the solid rock that stands beneath us. And we may falter, and we may fall. But as the scripture says, you know, if you knock a righteous man down seven times, you know, there's no point to it because he's just going to get up again. Why? Because God's going to make him get up again. And no, we don't preach perfection, but we do preach transformation. We do most definitely preach transformation. That is, without any doubt, definition of a Christian. It's a definition of a Christian, and it's a definition of an Old Testament saint. What does the scripture say? And do not be conformed, from Romans 12 too, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God. We have a completed scripture 
that the Old Testament saints only hoped for. And we are commanded, we are instructed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we have a great resource by which to do that. We are to be transformed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, what does that say? But we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What, what's transformation? What's transformation really look like? You know, I, I think the best way to look at this, and this is what I want to do, I want, I want us to turn to Romans Chapter 1, if, you, if you're driving in your car, of course, don't do that. If we're, in, uh, we're, we're thinking about transformation, the only way that we can know what, we're being trans, what, what transformation looks like is to first consider what we are so that we can know what we're being transformed from. And that's best pictured in Romans chapter 1. You know, so man becomes professing to be wise in chapter 22. It all begins with pride, just like it did the devil. And this is like coming right out of this evolutionary pro- evolutionary belief that professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, beginning with the praise of man, and of birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. What is that talking about in context? It's talking about the fact that since creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. So that a five-year-old boy asks his dad, where did everything come from? And we want to believe now that it came from a rock. It just started in itself. It just created itself. Self-creation, like, Aristotle didn't can debunk that so many years before Christ, let alone evolutionary theory through Darwin. And so what's the, what's the result of men cutting down trees and making gods for themselves? And, or today we just make philosophies that say evolution is true and there is no God. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. That's where we go right away because it's such a powerful force that God has put within us to propagate the race. This is for reproduction in a holy context of marriage, not for the purpose of lust and impurity, which is outside of marriage, which includes thoughts as well as deeds in this fact, in this matter, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, which goes on constantly all over the world and it has for a very, very long time, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And it goes on. For this reason, God gave them over. He, can, he gives them over. He gives them over. And he gives them over. And in each case, men, we, the Bible talks about today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. We do not begin this way as children. The heart of a children is one thing. And the heart of a a 90-year-old who has rejected God all his life 
whether it's through religion or not, is a very different thing. It's, it's much harder. It's the difference between a heart that pumps with blood, which actually we're created, we, we're born with hearts that are already not living hearts. They're dead hearts. Try to picture that. And, but in, in, the, in the course of life, become actually harder and more dead. It takes God, uh, as in Hebrews 10, 8 and 10, to buy that second covenant to create in us a living heart. I will put my laws in, in your mind and I will place them on your heart. And the heart there is not the organ that pumps blood. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the intellect, uh, that place where we process, we, we process uh, morality, we, you know, and then there's the feelings and the emotions, and, the, and, I, and then it comes all down to the choices we make. That's what we're talking about when the Bible talks about the human heart. And so there, the law of God is placed on the heart of his people. In that place, God transforms people into something else. He gives them a supple heart, a heart that actually cares about God. The relationship is, the reunion is made, and people begin to actually love God. That's the transformation from this other thing. For this reason, God gave them over to great degrading passions. And then it goes from these natural lusts to for their women exchange their natural function of that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn desire toward one another. Homosexuality, gay, and all of this that we see that's exploded in our country. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their person the due penalty of their error. And the STDs have just blown off the charts in numbers since the 60s. Why? Because, because God's just saying, wake up. You think this STDs is hard? Something worse coming. You're breaking the law. You don't have any regard for human life. You don't care about stealing and cheating and lying and backbiting and gossip and anger. and You don't care about your children and you don't care about your homes. And, and it just goes on and on. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, verse 20, uh, 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind, the mind of a moron in Greek. He gave them over to ignorance to do those things which, were, which are not proper. The mind is lost. That's what I mean. It's not a heart-pumping organ. It's you can't think anymore. You can't reason anymore. Being filled with all unrighteousness, doing what's right, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, wickedness. You know, like why Halloween has gotten so big. Murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. I mean, I don't even want to talk about it. As a Christian man, I'd rather think on things that are good. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, without understanding. I mean, in the age of science, 
technology, cell phones, having gone to the moon without understanding. In the last days, Daniel says, men will run to and fro like we've got to the moon, and they will, knowledge will be on the increase. And yet, without understanding. Untrustworthy. What? They don't understand how to trust one another, because why? Everybody's getting more wicked by the day. Unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, how do they know this? Well, you know it first in the conscience. It's there. You can bury it, harden it, just like stick it down so deep that you don't even hear its voice, but it's there. Through the law, law of Moses, which has gone out through the world, and now Christianity amplifying it. They not only do the same, those who practice these things and know they're worthy of death, they not only do the same, but are also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They approve. Yeah, go. They turn evil into good and good into evil, and they, they get in legislative places and they just say, yeah, let's, let's do this thing. Let's... Uh, Let's do everything we can to be as selfish and self-centered and ignore God as we possibly can because let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Now that is not a transformed heart like we see in the life of this man, Abraham. Just one. You go through all of Hebrews and see one after another, after another, after another. And in that place... We see men and women and people who are saved by the grace of God and transformed in something completely different, living out their lives in a completely different way than the world does it. And that's where they, he concludes chapter 11 by saying, beginning in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. And then there's another side. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. No, I'm not going to deny that Jehovah is God. I'm not going to deny the fact that God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel and he is the one true God because they believed they were going to obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, is Isaiah. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. You know, Islam is killed I don't know how many people since 2020. Mozambique, I mean, they have suffered. I know of 70 villages. Uh, they, inv they invaded and 
If you're a Christian, you lost your head, literally. Pastors tortured to death. It's going on right now today. Christianity has a bloodline that goes all the way back to Jesus Christ. Blood of tortured martyrs. And so does Israel. By their own people and, and by the world. Tortured to death for what they believe in the resurrection from the dead. What is a Christian? It's most definitely a person who has been transformed from the inside out. A person who's not what he once was. A person who went from a hater of God, who goes from being a hater of God to a lover of God. Perfect? No. But when people say, I'm a Christian, and they live exactly like the world, that person needs to consider who they are and what the message of the Bible really is. Because the message of the Bible doesn't leave room for a person who's a hypocrite. Christ didn't just frown on hypocrites. He hated hypocrites. He denounced hypocrites in public to their face. The religious leaders that would put him on a cross, he defrocked and in Matthew chapter 23, in every phrase, he said, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who wears a mask and pretends to be someone he's not. You know, one of the commandments is, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If you say you're a Jew and you live like a vile sinner, maybe even a religious one, if you say you're a Christian and there's absolutely no difference in your behavior, stop. Consider what you're doing. Consider the message you're proclaiming. Consider these things that I speak today. And if you're saved and you're a Christian, and you're, then uh, proclaim this message to the world and to your church and the people around you. Proclaim a gospel of repentance, which both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ came preaching and proclaiming. Proclaim that message and no other message. Proclaim transformation from within to without. And do it for his honor and his glory. And humble yourself and understand we're really no different than those who came before. We're just responsible for more because we know more. And there is a power that comes with knowing Jesus Christ, to be sure. There has to be, or else you're not real. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, your message of transformation. May we, as the church today, humble ourselves and recognize a day is coming when you will set aside the church and you will restore Israel to its rightful place, first place in the kingdom. The saints will be there, the Gentile believers will be there, Christians who have given their lives and have been transformed in the same way, with greater enlightenment and understanding of theology and of doctrine. But we recognize, Lord, that we are just the humble people who are saved by the grace of God and apart from the grace of God. 
we would spend eternity in hell. We are just as wicked sinners as anyone else. We are born to Adam, and we were born in a condition prone to evil. Lord, may we continue to humble ourselves before you, first of all and foremost. And then to to be clear in our message that we have no testimony in and of ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ and not ourselves, as Paul said when writing to the Corinthians. Lord, I, I pray for a humble church. I pray for revival, that you would send out your Holy Spirit one more time and bring a people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in mass at least one more time before that, that terrible day. We know, Lord, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all stand before the white throne judgment. And, Lord, for us who are in Christ, not by our own doing, we give you praise and glory and thanksgiving. And for those who are, who are lost in the idea that they're Christians because they said a prayer, because they walked an aisle, because they attend church, because they're born into a Christian family, for all these reasons and more, open the mind and the heart so that they may understand that a Christian is transformed from the inside out. And it makes a big difference on how you live a life. I pray these things for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.